Hey, this is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. This morning, I want to bring to you a topic that has been uh, on the precipice of everybody's thoughts and processes over the last two years. The last two years, this world has endured a bit of chaos, wouldn't you say? It's been just a little bit. It's been slightly challenging for the most of us, amen? It's been a challenge. And it keeps coming back, I keep coming back to this, this, this simple question, the simple, simple thought of who's in charge here? Who's in charge here? And I began to, to, to think and chew on this idea of authority. And if, depending on where you are in, your, in, in, in life and the, the, the environments that you're surrounded with or the, or the things, the ideas that you ascribe yourself to, there are a lot of contributing factors to being literally pulled apart, Would you, wouldn't you agree? You're being pulled apart at the seams to support if anything and everything that is something that your friend deals with, something that your family is dealing with, something that your work is dealing with, and you're just like, how in the world am I supposed to uh, please everybody in this environment? People are hurt. People are struggling. And we keep coming back to this idea of, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Who's in charge here? Who's the one that's supposed to tell me how I'm supposed to approach this idea? Is it okay or not okay to wear a mask? I don't know. <laughs> right? And depending on where you fall in the political spectrum, you'll get torn to pieces in that aspect as well. To say you're supposed to think this way or respond this way, or even if you think for yourself, you still have to go with some kind of majority. And you keep asking, who's in charge here? What is going on? We live in a day and age where everyone is their own expert as well. <laughs> we used to rely on, well, my Air Force days, we call them SMEs, SME, subject matter experts. And the subject matter experts dictated how things should be done in response to whatever activity we were doing. Why? Because they were the expert of the subject at hand, as a matter of speaking, right? So we would fall to them. But now in these days where we have everything literally Googleable, that's a word, everything is literally Googleable, you can find any information you want on anything and instantly become an expert on what you think the expertise needs to be. It's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy that we would think that Years, decades, centuries of information could be relegated to five millisecond response from a server and say, I now know what I need to know. Heaven help us. 
We just did a, stu- a study on wisdom Wednesday night. And we look at James chapter 3. I'm getting a little bit ahead here. And looking in James chapter 3, I encourage you to go back and look at the entire chapter. In James chapter 3, he talks about the wisdom, the, the two variations of, of wisdom that we are experiencing today. With, that is the spiritual wisdom and that is the earthly wisdom that we have to uh, contend with. And one of those is demonic. Now I'm going to make you, you know, now you're interested. Now you're going to go look, right? <laughs> All right. I encourage you to read God's word. How about that? All right. So everyone is their own master. Everyone individually decides what's right and wrong. This individualistic independence continues to wedge and divide us every day. It divides us on the world stage. Would you say that's happened in the last couple of years? It's divided us as Americans. Would you say that's happened in the past couple of years? It's divided us as communities. We don't have to go back that far. It's divided us even as churches. Heaven help us. But it's the most important aspect is it's divided every single family. And that's been a challenge. Those who are closest to us, those who are nearest to us, those who are dearest to us are now, we're at each other's throats. Help us, Lord. We are given a message that so many of us have consumed that the only thing we have in common is that we don't have anything in common. It's a lie, right? Yes, (laughs) I'm telling you it's a lie. (laughs) And yet people will still argue about that and quantify how much we don't have in common. (laughs) What this has done is ravage the cohesiveness of hope and thought, which would allow us to come reason together and find our common ground. And all of this has happened much to the devil's delight. I'm here to tell you this morning that we need a reset. And by we, I don't mean just me and my family. I don't mean just me and you individually. I don't mean just Sapona Road Church of God. I don't mean Eastern North Carolina Church of God. I don't mean just the Church of God. I mean all of us together, 100%, all seven and a half billion people on this planet, we need a reset mentally. We need a reset on who's in charge here. So this, this, this thought, this idea of authority, investigating authority, the who, what, when, where, why, I've been chewing on this, asking God, I don't understand where, where do we start drawing lines of authority? You know, we start dealing, reading scripture, and especially, specifically in Romans 13, that just tells us we're supposed to obey every form of government because all of authority comes from God. And you start going down this rabbit hole of, well, I don't necessarily agree with this person or that person, and I don't necessarily agree with how this is being done and these decisions that are being made. How do I, am I supposed to comply? Am I supposed to resist? I don't know. How many of you found yourself there in the last two years? Everybody's scared to raise their hand because they don't know if they should raise their hand to comply or resist. We don't know. (laughs) Who's in charge here? Authority can be defined like this. The power to enforce laws, exact obedience, command, determine, or judge. That's number one. 
Number two, one that is invested with this power, especially a government or body of government officials. Number three, power assigned to another, authorization. Number four, a public agency or corporation with administrative powers in a specific field. There's those SMEs I was talking about. An accepted source of expert information or advice. <laughs> People would put Google there. A quotation or citation from such a source. Any college students, you probably hate that term right now. <laughs> justification. Grounds for justification. In a sense, we give the word authority a lot of influential power to execute the law, to govern our activities and behaviors, and to be justified in doing so. But where does this authority come from? You cannot have authority, as I dug into this word, without an author. Authority comes from an author. So let's dive into that, shall we? Because this is where we get, start getting a right perspective about life and things. I want to introduce to you this morning the author of every created thing. I introduce to you this morning the author of your very souls. I want to speak to you this morning about the one whom all authority in heaven and earth are given. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all three in one, working out a master plan that he alone has authored. He has written the greatest story the world has ever known. It is the greatest romance, action, comedy, horror, drama, sci-fi, nonfiction, documentary of the future history. That is what he has developed. His genius has written subplots within ending subplots that govern the outcome before the story has ever started. His story has stories. And historically speaking, we anticipate a future like no other. This is the genius of God, the author, and you are in it. You are smack dab in the middle of a story that he has written before there was even time to begin to recognize something was being written. He is the first and foremost, the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. He is the pre-scene and the post-credits. And when God began to write his story, how terribly intense it would be with the irony that you and I would be in his story. That he would choose you and me to be part of his story. There is both terror and freedom in the words penned by God. You say, how has he written this story? Scripture actually describes very well how he writes his story. Exodus explains twice in chapters 31 and 32 that God used his own finger to write the law. The law that would make him both judge and redeemer of his people. He used the same finger in John chapter 8 when he wrote in the sand, setting a people to flee in terror while rescuing a daughter from hell. The same finger of God 
terrified Pharaoh's magicians in Exodus 8, as was the finger of the hand of God that wrote a terminal message to King Belshazzar in Daniel 5. The hand of God in Psalms 8 that pinned the moon and the stars, the expanse of which, as testified in Psalm 19, declares the work and glory of God's hands. And God himself declares in Isaiah 66, for my hand has made all things, thus all things came into being. He is the author of everything. He is the author of you and me, and he is the author of everything that binds the authority to which he tells us what we should or should not do. Can I get an amen? Because of his perfect penmanship, Romans 13 says, let every soul be subject to higher authorities. For there is no authority but God. The authorities that exist are ordained by God. So if you have a problem with an authority right now, you better go to the author. Do you hear me this morning? And since all is penned by his hand, we are reminded in Hebrews 12 that he is the author and finisher of our faith. Now, I want you to take that and really chew on that this week. If God is the author and finisher of your faith, of my faith, how is he writing that story on a daily basis for you and me, for you personally? How is the finished work going to look? If he is working with you to bring you into position to trust him more, to act on his word, to follow his commands, how is the author writing out your story? Your, the word specifically says that our steps are ordered by the Lord, are they not? How should we, how, why would we be the mountain that would not bow down? Hey, this just got real serious. Amen? Sounds like he's trying to get your attention. So now that we're going to talk about authority, God established Jesus as the central figure of his story, of his story, of history. He is the ultimate cameo of the God. He is, excuse me. Jesus is the ultimate cameo of God in this life. God literally made himself a hard copy edition of himself for which his volumes are eternal. John describes in John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. Sounds a lot like Isaiah 66, doesn't it? He is the word. Jesus is the living word of God. He is the exact copy of God speaking himself into existence in the literal incarnation of Jesus Christ. He made himself manifest and dwelt among us so that we would know. Any bookworms in the house? Love to read? There's a few, right? 
There's a saying that if you read enough of one author, you get to know the author pretty well. You get to know their mindset and their, how, they, how they approach things in life. Jesus literally, God literally made himself available. The author put himself into the story. Think about that. The author literally, and this is, the author literally put himself into your story so that you would know him. The spoken word from creation story became flesh and dwelt among us. A living document captured in every language relevant to mankind. In order that judgment would fall and we should be saved. The written word is the judgment of God. But just like he did every time before when he wrote judgment, he intended salvation and redemption to follow. And he has provided a way for you and me to experience that redemption, that we should all be saved. The author's authority became self-manifested. He brought the gavel of peace, eternal torment for the enemy of our souls, and an opportunity for grace and mercy for you and me. Literal authority stands before you and me today with the hand, the hand that pinned the stars into the heavens and condemned evil for eternal damnation. The hand is outstretched for you and me this morning if we would just take it. If we would just take it and grasp his hand and follow him. But we are warned. In Hebrews 12, 18 through 27 says, for you have not come to what could be touched, to a blazing fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words. Those words, those who heard those words begged that not another word be spoken to them. For they could not bear what was commanded, that even if an animal touches the mountain, it should be stoned. The appearance was so terrifying that Moses said, I am terrified and trembling. Instead, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels and festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to God who is the judge of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, to Jesus, mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood which says better things than the blood of Abel. Make sure that you do not reject the one, the author who speaks. For if they did not escape when they rejected him and warned them on earth, even less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. His voice shook the earth at that time, but now he has promised. Yet once more I shall take not only the earth, but also heaven. Verse 27 says, The expression, yet once more, indicates the removal of what can be shaken, that is, all created things, so that what is not shaken might remain. How terrible it is to fall into the hands of an angry God. Yet... 
I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The author wrote himself into the story so that we would know the love of God and be saved from the terrible hands of an angry God. In his story, we as mankind fell. We fell off the pages. It was never intended for us to be in the corrupt carnal nature that we are. But even as God knew that would happen, he already started to write out the plan. He already started to write out the story. This is going to be the most epic of stories. This is going to be the greatest romance, the greatest comedy, the greatest horror, and the greatest action-packed nonfiction documentary of future history ever. His genius made a way before there was a way. And he was prepared to go with us the entire way. Jesus is your and my authority. Why is this important? Yes, you could say that as a Christian, as a churched person for your entire life, you're like, yes, Jesus is authority. What does that mean to you? Is he fully your authority? Those that reject him will face an eternal death. That's his word, not mine. Those that accept him will have been brought with a price. Our faith is being authored and it will be finished one day. But because we are bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6 explains that you, your body, me, my body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit in you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. Who's in charge here? The price was too steep, yet God willfully purchased you and me. So God commands to glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God as in possession, not as God as in your God. <laughs> Let me clarify that. So this is where we deal with authority and put action into authority. Because authority in action is authorization. Following me there? There's an authorization that happens because of the authority from which the author penned. Having been purchased with the blood of Christ, God has received us. And in the, and in the same exchange, we have received our Savior. Our Savior is our owner. It gets really, really quiet when you start talking about this. Our Savior is our owner. And through this spirit of adoption, we are made co-heirs with Christ. 
So we, we, we regale at this idea that I am owned by someone, some being. But yet we get really excited when we say we're co-heirs with Christ. You can't have one without the other. They're both two sides of the same coin. So what does this mean? It means we have received his kingdom. Toy Story is an awesome <laughs> reflection of ownership and love from a toy's perspective. The toys all bared Angie, oh, Angie's. <laughs> the toys all bared Andy's name, did they not? He put it on the bottom of their, I think it was the right foot. Andy put his name. He was that those toys were Andy's. But from a toy's perspective, Andy was theirs. They're human, their owner, their child. The toys took responsibility of looking after their owner. Did they not? All right, make sure you're over with me. All right. So as much as we are his, Christ is ours. Grasp that this morning. As much as you are his, Christ is also yours. He is your savior. He is your friend. He is your authority. Jesus is mine and I am his. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us hold on to grace. By it we may serve God acceptedly with reverence and awe. Let me read that again. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us hold on to grace. For by grace, we serve God acceptedly with reverence and awe. And in verse 29, it says, for our God is a consuming fire. That fire, which does consume for both purification and purging purifies us to clean, cleanse us of our sins, to make us holy, by which his righteousness is applied. Purging these fleshly burdens, purging those fleshly burdens from us, the carnal thinking, the earthly wisdom, things that prohibit both the common union with God and with each other, our brothers and sisters in Christ. This fire consumes all that is not of God for the purpose of revealing God's grace. And in this grace, we have purpose. And in this grace, instead of, another word for purpose is authorization. Because of his grace, we are authorized to do the good works that are acceptable to God through reverence and awe. One of the unique and impactful roles of global society is this idea of ambassadorship. An ambassador's most basic responsibility is to cultivate relationships. That's what they're there for, to cultivate relationships. An ambassador develops and maintains relationships with, within a hosting country for the benefit of the ambassador's authority. 
and such as with the United States, the US, U.S. ambassador develops relationships with the host country for the benefit of connecting the U.S. president to the host country authority. This ambassador does not get the opportunity to push their own agenda. Rather, the ambassador relates the president's intent and opportunities and vice versa. They intercede on behalf of the president and intercede on behalf of the host nation. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are authorized by the grace of God to intercede for both God for and for man. We have been put in a position to cultivate relationships. And when you read James chapter 3, you understand that this idea of cultivating relationships should only result in peace. Have you brought peace to those around you lately? With everything that's been going on in the last two years, we can go back, we can rewind a lot further if you want. Are you bringing peace to the world around you? Because that is what you're authorized to do. The intent and opportunities that Christ brings to this world is how we're supposed to be engaging the world. You say, Brother Ryan, that sounds really, 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 really great and good for Pastor Mitchell, for... Anybody got a uh, uh, Church of God license in here? Raise your hand. Sounds really, really good for those who've got licenses in here. You and I are ambassadors for Christ, cultivating relationships and inter interceding on each other's behalf. We carry the message of Christ's intent and opportunities, blessing others with what is not our own. You and I are commissioned and authorized in Matthew 28 to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 10, it says, to, to as you go, proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand, to heal the sick, to cleanse the lepers, to raise the dead, cast out demons, for freely you have received this, and freely you give. You and I, have been commanded to do the work of the ministry, as is declared in Ephesians chapter 4. You and I have been declared to go do, to be declared and authorized, commanded by God, to do the work of ministry. And you say, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's Pastor Mitchell's job to do the ministry. You won't find that in Scripture. If you are a believer, born again, saved by grace, bought with a price, you are on the hook. There is a lot of reward and opportunities with this, let me just say. <laughs> Not here in, on earth, let me also say that. <laughs> but in heaven, that's where we stand. That's where we sit. You and I have been commanded to do the work of the ministry. Stop waiting for Pastor Mitchell to do the something for you. Instead, get out there and preach the gospel, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. 
That's what God tells us to do. He doesn't say only the clergy do that. He doesn't say only the deacons should do that. He says every single one of us are responsible for carrying out the mission of God. 2 Timothy 2 tells us to stop complaining about semantics, but to be diligent, presenting yourselves approved to God. Not approved by God, approved to God. What does this say? This, this follows in this idea that we have been authorized, but we answer to the authority, to the author who has authorized us. We have been bought with a price. Scripture tells each and every one of us to provoke each other to do good works. What good works? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what I'm called to do. What's in front of you? Pick a good one. You have been authorized by the hand of God. The same hand that pins all of existence into reality, that hand is telling you to go. Go make disciples of all nations. Every single one of us are told to go. Well, Brother Ryan, I'm not, exactly, I'm not exactly sure what I'm supposed to do. Ephesians 4 says do the work of the ministry. What's going on around here? Do that. Well, I don't know what I'm called to do. I just don't know what the calling is. Preach the gospel, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Pick a good one. What's in front of you? I know I just sometimes feel unequipped and I don't know where to start. Do the work of the ministry, preach the gospel, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Pick a good one. At some point, we have to stop making excuses and we have to get to work with what is right smack dab in front of us. 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. Now his commands are not a burden, because whatever has been born of God conquers the world. So therefore, if you're feeling burdened or overcome by this command that God has given you to do, he's telling you, just go do it. I'm the one carrying the burden. He's the authority. When it comes to preaching this gospel, if you haven't noticed, I've only brought scriptures because it's not my authority. I stand on the authority that's been authorized me from the author, which is to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, do the work of the ministry. God said, pick a good one. Today's a good one. I mean, we're here with you guys. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. If only you'd believe. You feel unequipped. I don't know the words I'm supposed to say. Just tell them about Jesus. Let his word do the work. Let the author write the story. Just believe. I don't know how to pray or if I'm supposed to lay hands on somebody for them to be healed or I don't know if I have the right mixture for the anointing oil. Just believe. Let the author do the work. Just believe. Man, these people are sick. 
I don't know if I should be around them. I, I need to go hide in a hole somewhere. Just believe. Let the author write the story. Just believe. There's a lot of death that has been going around. When do we lay hands on people on their deathbed to raise them back to life? Just believe. Let the author write the story. You won't be the first. You won't be the last. Just believe. Cast out demons? All right, I'm scared. Just believe. Let the author, in all of his magnificent championship authority, do all the work right in front of you. Just believe. Faith is a muscle that must be exercised for it to strengthen and to grow. Every day you and I are given opportunities to invoke this divine authorization to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to cleanse the lepers, to raise the dead, and to cast out demons. Every single day you and I are given the opportunity if we just believe. Who's in charge here? Are you relying on your own authority to differentiate what's right and wrong? Who's in charge here? Are you waiting for some politician to tell you when you can blow your nose and when you can't? Just believe. Who's in charge here? When it comes to the things of the kingdom work, there is no law against it. Just believe. God did not call us and authorize us because we're Americans. God did not call us nor authorize us because we're pro-choice. God did not call us and authorize us because we're a specific class of people, because of a political party, or because we're a part of a movement of people. God did not authorize, did, God did not author his story from a U.S. perspective or from any activist perspectives or from any one individual's perspective. God authors his story from his own perspective and you and I are in it. So who do you align yourself with? What authority do you exist and behave under? If it's your own, I can tell you mankind's individual stories that they author. This is going to be hard to, to, to wrap our heads around. It's going to be hard to accept. But without God, this is, the man, this is the story that we as mankind write for ourselves. Are you ready? This is the story that you would author, that I would author. 2 Timothy 3, it says, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, 
disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irre irreconcilable. Wait, there's more. Without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good. Wait, there's more. Traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. But wait, there's more. Holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. To say, I'm a Christian and I'm a believer in God, but I refuse to pray for somebody. I refuse to believe that somebody can be healed. I refuse that, to believe that somebody can be saved. I refuse to believe that somebody can be redeemed. This is the story that you and I would write personally. Paul tells Timothy to avoid these people. <laughs> For among them are those who worm their way into households and capture idle women burdened down with sins, led along by a variety of passions, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Paul even gives examples just as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses. So these also resist the truth. Men who are corrupt in mind, worthless in regard to faith. Lord have mercy. But they will not make further progress for their lack of understanding will be clear to all as theirs was also. There is an author who has penned the greatest story ever told, that has given us an opportunity to face judgment and or be redeemed. The choice is ours. Which authority do you subscribe to? See, there was an author who knew when he penned the judgment that there would be a wrath that is unescapable that would be coming down onto you and to me. There would be this, this wrath that will forever be coming against me and my sin, against me and my past, against everything that was before Christ. There is a, a wrath, a holy wrath that is inescapable that is coming against me. So he writes himself into the story. Here I am. There's God's wrath coming down on me. And Jesus says, but wait, there's more to this story. There's more to what's coming. There's more to what we have created here. And in the Garden of Eden, if you ever paid attention, the first blood that was dropped, when, when, when we look at scripture and it says the blood of Christ is what has saved us, it was that first step that Jesus took in the garden before he ever got to the cross, before he was whipped, before everything came down upon him, before he was punched in the face, his beard ripped out of his skull, before he faced all of that, he faced one-on-one -on -one the wrath of God, his own wrath. And he sat there and interceded 
for you and me to the point where blood was shedding from his skull because of the pain, the stress, and the anxiety that he was under. It was for you and me. And yet so many people say, I'm going to do things how I want to do. I'm going to believe how I want to believe. My faith is Sunday morning, and that's good enough for me. When God is saying, I was all in, are you? Because there is a joy unspeakable and full of glory if you just wait a little bit longer, follow me, follow my commands, love me, let me love on you, and wait till you see the joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. When you get to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter forever into my rest. But church, you and I aren't there yet. Some of you would say, thankfully. <laughs> Some of us are hoping we'd be raised from the dead <laughs> before we have to face that. I'm telling you this morning, there is an authority from heaven, from the author himself, that is providing an opportunity for you to know him personally, to know the author, and watch him say, but wait, there's more. Heavenly Father, you are our champion. Lord, the, there is no authority, there is no power in me specifically except Holy Spirit, which you breathe through me. And God, I am forever grateful, Father, for you forgiving me, for baptizing me, filling me with the Holy Ghost, and setting my path straight. Even though you've ordained my steps, you have promised me that you light the path before me. You don't, leave me hand, hang, you don't leave me hanging, but you're there to provide a hand to guide me and direct me. So God, I pray over this, this service right now as we come to a close, God, Lord, that you would saturate this place with your glory. Oh, champion of champions, let us see your glory this morning. If there is anyone here under the sound of my voice that does not know you as the author and finisher of their faith, God, I ask that you would beckon them, not for my benefit, not for anybody on this stage's benefit, but for their benefit alone. Lord, that you would know them and that they would know you personally, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.